if i can remember correctly the first ever ufo crash or whatever was in as far as i remember was 1947 roswell new mexico in which a flying saucer or some some ufo of, of some kind was said to have crashed uh, initially it came out in the news news media and the newspapers that it was a crashed ufo but then they changed the story to a weather balloon that crashed and that sort of thing now i don't know what is true what is not not too many people had even heard about oppenheimer until this nolan movie what is albert einstein's role in like world war 2 then einstein has essentially no role in that theory the theoretical groundwork that that it did in developing the science of quantum mechanics that is what led to the eventual technology that was that was developed for the manhattan project so without the understanding of quantum mechanics that he gave us they would not have been able to eventually engineer use that to engineer a nuclear bomb and to engineer nuclear reactors okay yeah so that was his role he was a theoretician he was not an experimentalist he was not an engineer a pure theoretician openheimer hype both abhijit chawda sir and myself hadn't watched the movie at the time of recording what i will say about this episode is that it's a slightly geopolitical narrative on the field of science at that time it's a slightly behind the scenes version of openheimer's life whether or not you have seen the movie you will find a lot of value in this episode and we also went slightly tangential spoke about aliens a little bit spoke about science a little bit spoke about the future a little bit and tried understanding nuclear warfare in much greater detail it's a heavy scientific geopolitical episode that's a breakdown of christopher nolan's new film oppenheimer enjoy today's episode with the legend abhijit chawla This is for all the people in the house who haven't seen Oppenheimer yet, just like us. Chavda returns, Abhijit Chavda sir. Welcome back. Thank you so much. Always wonderful to talk to you. Likewise, sir. Why have we both not seen Oppenheimer? Well, I've been very busy traveling and doing things. I it's something I really want to watch. It's on my bucket list, and yeah. it's something I would like to see soon. What I've heard is that there's a lot of geopolitical narratives within the movie. They have shown a bit of a court case. Uh, and i'm sure knowing nolan i've not seen the movie i'm 100% sure there's a scene of the atom bomb actually going off is there there is right okay so um this podcast is both for the people who haven't watched oppenheimer and for the people who watched it but a more podcasting more raw form of it uh so do you think that the right point to start this oppenheimer story is actually to start with the origin story of einstein Oh uh, yeah the origin story of the entire thing is the birth of quantum mechanics that's okay. where all this starts i mean the atom bomb was uh, was developed because of the advances that we made in the first half of the 20th century which is the birth of quantum mechanics which is down to einstein uh it, it it did not start with einstein it started with max planck it started with uh, marie curie and uh, some other scientists who first discovered a few things and then einstein took those discoveries which were so perplexing and he showed through shown some light on that and explained why these phenomena occur so that's how it was born maybe then we should begin slightly before quantum mechanics okay in order to just understand what quantum mechanics is in the first place okay let's do that so until the 19th century people believed that everything that should be discovered or could be discovered had been discovered and whatever new discoveries would be made would be at uh, you know the degrees of decimal points so 0.001% change or something like that so that's what people mostly believed and then there was this uh, new discovery or new invention which was the light bulb so the light bulb has a filament inside right that, that yellow glowing filament and there was a very brand new technology at the time and various scientists were wondering how to perfect that and one of the main questions in that was that if we take a light fill a, a metallic filament in vacuum and we heat it why does it glow with a certain color at a certain temperature okay that was the big mystery that nobody understood as in at different temperatures it would be green red Yes. blue etc yes that's okay. right so why does that happen and nobody had any, any idea why and then there there was a discovery of radiation which i believe happened at the very end of the 19th century which is that certain substances certain certain elements are naturally unstable and they radiate certain weird things at a at a constant rate so these were new discoveries that nobody could understand and nobody had any idea why why, why these things why these properties existed so that was 
the impetus for the birth of quantum mechanics and it was i think max planck in 1900 who came up with an equation with the, with the planck constant h which said that uh, atoms i mean uh, you know light behaves in a certain way and that essentially was the birth of quantum mechanics there was the birth of the quantum so h the the planck constant was the in, an integral part of that and then in 1905 einstein actually threw light on that as to why it is like this and so so, so 1905 is called einstein's annus mirabilis the miracle year in which he published five ground breaking papers i think it was five most likely five papers which threw light on very different topics but that was essentially uh, where we started understanding what quantum mechanics is what is the meaning of the word quantum what is the meaning of the word mechanics so mechanics uh, mechanics means how things work the mechanics dynamics statics all of that so let's say if i throw a pebble uh front of me why does it go in a parabolic arc so that's newton's laws that's the mechanics of the fall of the of projectile motion so quantum mechanics is about how atoms behave and how the uh, subatomic particles in the quantum world in the ultra microscopic world behave so that's what it is now uh, the quantum is the leaps that uh, electrons make within an atom so for example you take the hydrogen atom it's just one proton at the center which is the nucleus and one electron that goes around it now why doesn't why, why if if an electron goes around the the nucleus then why doesn't it decay i mean uh, it's its orbit should decay because of the laws of electromagnetism which say that uh, a moving charge is going to radiate uh, uh, radiation it's going to give off radiation and therefore its orbit should decay and it should crash into the nucleus orbit should decay as in it will lose energy yeah it will like lose energy car and, running out of petrol almost uh, kind of like that and the and, and the orbit should become smaller and smaller eventually it should crash into the nucleus mm. but that doesn't happen why is that so then max planck came up with a new uh understanding of the world that only certain orbits are allowed and if as long as the electron is in that orbit it will not decay ever so these are called quantum jumps each orbit is a certain quantum state so that's where the word quantum comes from so 1 n equal to 1 2 3 these are the various uh, different or, uh, orbits that the uh, that the electron can have and these the the principal quantum number n is is where the where the word quantum comes from okay yeah. how does this thought lead to the destruction of hiroshima and nagasaki then. yeah that's where it all begins but then yeah so <laughs> so initially we knew that we have atoms but what was the structure of the atom no one knew then there were, i don't know what the exact chronology is in which year what happened but then we discovered that the atom is mostly empty space but there's a nucleus at the center so that was one thing that was discovered then the electron was discovered and then it was discovered that atom the the nucleus of an atom contains protons and neutrons i think the proton was first discovered then eventually the neutron was discovered so neutrons are neutrally charged particles they don't they don't have any charge protons are positively charged electrons are negatively charged like charges repel each other opposite charges attract these are the basic laws uh, so so that's how it happened so this is the beginning of quantum mechanics we understood what the nature of the atom is and then they discovered that certain elements i think it was discovered in the late 19th century that certain elements are radioactive they they give off some kinds of some kind of radiation now what that is was not understood but i think it was in the 19 late 1920s or early 1930s after the discovery of the neutron that it was discovered that certain uh, um, certain elements in the periodic table decay at a given rate because and and they emit uh, certain particles called alpha particles which are helium nuclei so so there are four different kinds of radiation uh, alpha particles uh, then beta particles which are electrons then there is gamma radiation and then there, there are neutrons so this was eventually discovered over time and then it was a german scientist i believe who who came across the idea that if a neutron can uh, hit an atomic nucleus and break it up and if the if the breaking of the atomic nucleus also releases more neutrons then if you have sufficient quantity of that substance then these neutrons will start hitting atoms one after the other it's going to cause a chain reaction which will give off more and more neutrons and that could give off an enormous amount of energy so that was the first time the idea of a nuclear reaction i mean explosion was thought about in the early 1930s this was a Ger- german scientist if i am not mistaken 
and then at this time there was this geopolitical angle that Adolf, Adolf Hitler was was coming to power, the Nazi Party, Germany had been uh, deeply humiliated at the end of the First World War. The nation was destroyed and the economy was destroyed. And then the Nazi Party comes to power. Hitler starts rebuilding the economy and he wants to rebuild Germany's pride and regain its lost prestige and territories and all that. And this was a very dangerous time. Hitler was seen as a very evil person he, obviously he was evil we can't deny that so he this, was very evil let's let's yeah. <laughs> oh, we need to put that on the record yeah, yes yeah we both we both think he was evil yes absolutely uh, and now we'll move on with the conversation because we're all about learning and correcting the past slightly right because at the end of the day we are experimenters researchers uh questioners and that past clip was just a form of understanding the truth better we've understood the truth he was Satan in human form. Absolutely. No okay. denying that. Let's go on, sir. So this guy, the German scientist whose name I don't remember right now, he came up with this idea that the release of uh, neutrons could give rise to a chain reaction which could give off an enormous amount of energy from a small amount of matter hmm. or radioactive element. So this, I think he, this... Uh, idea i think he patented that and then he sold the patent if i'm not mistaken to the british government and eventually there's this guy called j robert oppenheimer who was an ex who was a theoretical physicist uh he was in some university in the us and he came up upon, uh, upon this idea uh and he initially rejected it and he was of the opinion it can't happen but i think one of his students announced the, one of his students discovered that German scientists had actually made this happen with uranium. Uranium-238, I believe it was. There are, there are two different isotopes of, of uranium, uh, 235 and 238 mainly. So I think German scientists were the first to do this. They used neutrons to break apart a uranium atom and that released more neutrons. So that is something that will definitely give you a chain reaction if you know how to make it happen. So that news came out and then Oppenheimer and his student, they tried it out and they discovered that it actually works. And then you had the birth of the atom bomb project because the Germans had already taken a lead. They had already done this experiment before the Americans and anybody else. So then the US government got involved in this. Let, let's rewind a little bit to understand this better. Yeah. In the 2020s, where we are right now, huh. would an equivalent technology be general artificial intelligence or something like AI is just taking off in the world? spoken about it enough on the podcast. Um, what would be the 2023 equivalent of such a scientific scenario where everyone knows that, oh man, we're sitting on something. So did, did the whole world know about nuclear power? Like that it's a new scientific phenomenon or was it kind of under wraps? It was deeply secret. It was kept very secret under wraps because that was like a revolutionary groundbreaking technology. Today, if you were to think of something like that, I would think of tabletop nuclear fusion. So right now we haven't achieved nuclear fusion on planet Earth un unless uh, it's in a nuclear explosion. A nuclear explosion is uncontrolled fusion. Uh, I'm talking about the thermonuclear reaction, the hydrogen bomb. But we haven't uh, been able to achieve sustained and controlled nuclear fusion ever. So the atom bombs that were used in World War II were based on nuclear fission. Fission. Where fission. it's exactly what you explained. You throw a uh, neutron at a nucleus and then it splits up. That's what fission is. Yes. Fusion is what? Fusion is when you, so fission is when you split an atom, mm. when you split a nucleus. Fusion is when you take two different nuclei, maybe of hydrogen or deuterium or tritium, and you squash them together so hard that they're going to fuse together and give rise to a new element. And that gives off an enormous amount of energy, more energy than fission would give you. So that's nuclear fusion. Enough to destroy our planet? Uh, not enough to destroy a planet. But, uh, well, if you have sufficient quantity of, of fusionable material, then you may be able to do that. See, every time you look at the sun, you're witnessing nuclear fusion. So the sun is a fusion reaction going on in real time. And that's what keeps us alive. So it's an enormous amount of energy that gives, it gives out. So a nuclear fusion is the opposite of fission, but it gives off more energy. And it doesn't have any, any radioactive byproducts as such compared to nuclear fission. I believe the problem with nuclear fusion is that we as humans have not figured out how to control it. That's right. That's why people are not delving into nuclear fusion technologies. Uh, they're trying. They're so, figuring that. Now. Yeah, so it takes an enormous amount of energy to just, just to squash two nuclei together. 
okay huge amount of energy but then the output is way more than you you initially put into it but it's very hard to 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 control that amount of energy and to squeeze nuclear together little science fiction question if we are able to control nuclear fusion what are the applications of it in terms of real world technologies spaceships uh first of all you could get almost unlimited uh, electric power Mm. okay because uh, you need a very little amount of 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 uh, material uh, to to undergo fusion to give off a huge amount of energy for example on the surface of the moon you have the moon's uh, soil the regolith which uh, contains an abundance of a uh, certain isotope of helium called helium helium what 5 uh, one of the isotopes of helium so this isotope of helium is an extremely good potential fuel for future nuclear fusion reactors and about a kilo of that would be enough to sustain a whole city for a year or so i mean i'm just giving you a rough ballpark figure but that's the kind of thing it is so it would give you essentially unlimited energy if you use it in a good way but of course you can create more wondrous weapons with that and you could even uh, power spaceships indefinitely you could power submarines even indefinitely if you have that uh, so yeah the the applications of such a technology would be essentially endless it could uh, help you maybe reach outer space beyond uh, maybe beyond the solar system if you want a power source that will sustain you for a century maybe that's that's what you want so that, that sort of thing so the nuclear fusion if you can uh, control it that would be the kind of quantum leap of technology that uh, we would have today which would be comparable to what they had in the 1920s 1930s uh, 1940s with uh, nuclear fission do you think china or america and or america actually figured nuclear fusion and the chinese wraps yes yes the chinese are working on something called an artificial sun so that's a nuclear fusion uh, uh, they're testing nuclear fusion technology they haven't yet achieved fusion uh, it's it's something called a some form of a tokamak which is a toroidal thing in which you have magnetic confinement you have a plasma inside a machine in vacuum and the plasma is in extremely hot form of matter extraordinarily hot form of matter but it's confined within a certain region with uh, through magnetic fields so that's what the chinese are working on and uh, the americans also have certain certain such projects and i believe this such a technology being tried out in europe as well and somewhere or the other i think they have got more energy output than they input into it so i think we are on the cusp of maybe making this work in the next few years possibly okay. uh very tiny stray away from oppenheimer uh have you been following this whole america talking about ufos thing or oh, have i have uh for the sake of trs clips and <laughs> the sake of the audience which wants to hear this from you it's tuesday today right i believe yes this episode is getting released on friday okay so this whole american alien ufo thing has happened two or three days ago mm-hmm. uh let's talk a little bit about that sure. just to understand the magnitude of what the world's governments are actually capable of hiding mm-hmm. so the americans uh, they recently had this disclosure uh, thing or whatever in which various uh, former us government officials came out in public and went on record saying that they have uh, recovered alien artifacts and certain biologics non human biologics so that's the term they used uh so thus far i think it, it and they they gave this as sworn testimony so if they have been lying it means they perjured themselves and they will be liable for punishment of some kind or the other so they have given this sworn testimony that the, the us government is in possession of alien uh, technology alien artifacts and non human biologics or whatever that is what does that mean non human biologics so that's that's a point of contention non human biologics from a lay person's perspective would mean that alien bodies bodies of alien individuals but from a scientific perspective it can also mean grass Mm. or it could mean a mushroom <laughs> it could mean a cat or a pigeon or anything so they've used a, a vague term which could mean a lot of things uh, so it's not really specific and they've made the claim that they, the us government has alien artifacts now this is once again from my perspective it's words we haven't seen any actual evidence of this i mean there are lots of ufo sightings and videos and the us government has also the us military has also released videos of the tic tac ufo and and certain other things but all i can see is some grainy footage black and white footage and 
and and words testimony but show us an actual artifact show us a high quality video i mean everyone has that everybody has good cameras and all nowadays show us a high quality video of this and then make full disclosure so as far as i am concerned i am still not 100% convinced i all i have seen is words uh so i am still a very skeptical person i still okay. am i i want to believe i want to believe but i am unable to believe thus far because they have not shown any real hard evidence okay yeah. um what about the first two where they said alien artifacts and ufos alien artifacts and uh, biologics that's a two things if two things as far as i about. remember they they okay. were spoken about alien artifacts is very likely some sort of weaponry or equipment or, or a crashed ufo or something like that you know mm. crashed uh, craft spacecraft that's what it sounds like alien artifacts i mean what else could it be okay yeah so a ufo that's come from another galaxy it's traveled across space crashes on earth's body hmm. like after traveling through space it crashes on earth's ground yeah how does something crash on earth in the first place it's travel through space yeah i mean uh, to travel uh, to crash onto the earth you need to first of all get into earth's orbit and then descend through the atmosphere and then make contact with the ground so if you have a, a, the technology that will allow you to go across star systems and maybe even traverse galaxies i don't think it would be very hard for you to go and land on a planet so why would you crash first of all <laughs> so yeah it doesn't make sense to me but uh, that's what they claim or it was friendly aliens and the american air force or some air force would have shot it down i'm sure they have the if they can travel across galaxies or star systems they can defend themselves from a, against a puny little missile that comes mm. from uh, human technology mm. i mean the technology they would have would be orders of magnitude beyond what we have it would be technology we can't even imagine that would look like magic to us so it doesn't really make sense to me that the us government would be able to shoot something down you know have they claimed something like uh it's been with them since 10 decades that's the rumor making the rounds oh uh, yeah the first ever if i can remember correctly the first ever ufo crash or whatever was in as far as i remember was 1947 roswell new mexico in which a flying saucer or some some ufo of, of some kind was said to have crashed uh, initially it came out in the news news media and the newspapers that it was a crashed ufo but then they changed the story to a weather balloon that crashed and that sort of thing now i don't know what is true what is not but i if, if the first uh, uh, artifacts that they, they recovered if they were in 1947 that's at least 75 or so years before today that's like uh, three quarters of a century if if that's the case why now why are they talking about it now that's a question why are they trying to uh, make disclosure now given the fact that if they actually have this uh, evidence then they have been concealing it for decades why are they uh, revealing this now and that's a, a question that i am unable to answer is this a distraction are they trying to distract the world's attention from something else that's happening somewhere else i mean it's come out in the news um, in recent times that uh, whenever there was a coup attempt somewhere or something they would uh, release plant stories of ufos and flying saucers in the media to divert the public's attention from something that's really important something that's happening and the us government was involved in that so uh, it's it's often a diversionary tactic to release certain public interest stories that will grab the public imagination to divert attention away from something else but i'm only speculating i don't really know why they are disclosing this now is there a coup happening anywhere oh there's a coup happening right now as we speak it's in africa it's in uh, which country it's in niger i think the coup has already happened okay <laughs> uh the french have been evicted from there and uh, mr putin and the wagner company are involved in this and the Fra and the french are very unhappy and there could be a counter coup which would could happen soon in the next uh, hours or days who knows really yes counter coup obviously because of america uh the french the french oh. so in western africa it's they typically been the french who have dominated the region uh they still actually are the colonizers by proxy of this region and this country niger the coup has been to uh, to free this country from french uh, domination so then the french are unhappy because the niger is a big producer of uranium the topic of our uh, overall topic of our, our uh, this this conversation today uranium is what uh, you know gives you nuclear power and a significant amount of french electricity is generated from nuclear power maybe more than 60% so they need uranium and niger is a major producer of uranium and now they have evicted all the french soldiers from their territory which means france has lost control of the uranium mines in this country and that's not a good thing for them they've lost control to russia 
Ah, uh, yes, yes. Russia is involved in this. Uh, the Wagner Group, Mr. Prigozhin's, uh, you know, paramilitary force is most likely uh, present on the soil of this nation. And they could help the government, the new government, the coup regime, to, to prevent a counter-coup or something. So there's a lot going on over there right now. Very tiny update on Russia-Ukraine is? Uh, right now, uh, the war is very slow right now. Uh, Russia is in control of roughly a fifth of the country, the Donbas region. And whatever uh, whatever counter-offensive the Ukrainians have tried, have uh, all the counter-offensives have, have unfortunately, for, from their perspective, failed very badly. Uh, eventually, it, may, it looks like Ukraine may break up and Poland may be a new entrant into this into this war and they may gobble up whatever is left of Ukraine, uh, incorporate it, that, that into Polish territory. Belarus may get involved uh, on the side of Russia. So there's a whole lot happening there as well. This may get involved is because the leaders of those countries have come out and shown support. Yes, Belarus essentially is a Russian vassal. Mm. It's, it's a Russian client state. Um, uh, Lukashenko, their the, the president, is a great uh, ally uh, and supporter of Mr. Putin. And the Wagner Group ha is, a, has a presence right now in Belarus. And Russia has also tra transferred tactical nuclear weapons onto Belarus territory, which tells you that Belarus is fully and firmly under Russian control. This war happening, this coup happening, is it normal? Or are we seeing a cycle repeat itself? And I ask you once again, Abhijit Chavda, because we've used this title on so many thumbnails. Is this the start of a bit of a world war? And I say that very cautiously. Well, the good question. You know, the situation kind of reminds me of the days of the early 1910s, right before the First World War started. You know, there were all, there was this absolute geopolitical mess at the time. Lots of countries were trying to regain lost territory and lots of uh, all various alliances were forming and counter alliances were, be, were being formed, similar to what we are seeing right now. So there is a mess in, in Ukraine, in Eastern Europe, uh, Poland may get, may get involved. Uh, Europe is being deindustrialized essentially by starving it of energy. So all the uh, industries are, are not doing well. Europe is going into recession. Germany has officially entered recession. Mm. There is a mess in Africa. So much is happening. So, and there's a there's a whole different angle in Asia as well. There is the Taiwan angle. There's the India-China angle. The Pakistan uh, nuisance is always there. North Korea is there. The Russia-Japan angle. There's a whole lot happening. The world is kind of in very rapid motion now geopolitically, and a lot could change in the next uh, couple of years. Who knows? And possibly nuclear fusion has been invented somewhere uh, possibly we may have uh, uh, overcome the threshold at which you get, get more energy output than you're in inputting into it but uh, using that uh, in a sustained controlled manner may take at least a decade perhaps more so it's not something we can start using right away equivalent of early 1930s a little bit as well equivalent of the beginning of the manhattan project perhaps which is the the early 1940s so that's when the us understood the potential of uranium and they decided that we need to get this technology in our hands before the germans develop it so that was the beginning of the manhattan project which was overseen by oppenheimer we began by talking about oppenheimer but the reason we're bringing up all this is because the greatest lesson in history is that history repeats itself. It is, yes. So it's very important to understand history as well as what's happening in your present times. Otherwise, there's no point in studying the present times or in studying history if you don't understand that they're linked. Which is why I'll probably take the narrative back to the 1930s. Why was a whole movie made on Professor Oppenheimer? So he is an extremely pivotal figure. He, well, fairly or unfairly, he's uh, regarded as the father of the atomic bomb. And he is regarded as the, as the father of atomic power and atomic energy as well. So he oversaw the Manhattan Project, which was in, in essentially an emergency project that the Americans cobbled together. They brought together the world's best scientists, the best theoretical physicists, the best chemists, the best engineers, and also the American armed forces, the military, put all these people together. And the mission was to assemble a nuclear reactor and create a nuclear bomb ASAP as soon as possible. And the pressure was that the... Germans could do it before us. And you don't want nukes in Germans, Germany's hands. You don't want nukes in Adolf Hitler's hands. There was a the whole thing. So uh, they, and, and by that time it was known that uranium undergoes fission. You can use a neutron, you can shoot a neutron at a uranium nucleus and it will break up, it will give off, give off more neutrons. And that is something that will start a chain reaction if you know how to engineer that. So the question was, how do you engineer atoms? 
how do you get a neutron to to strike an uh, atomic nucleus and then to engineer the rest of the chain reaction process so uh, so then what they did was yeah congo so congo th there were three or four places at that time where you had uranium mines one was canada one was czechoslovakia one was congo and one was somewhere else maybe california or something so the americans persuaded the belgians who held congo at the time to reopen the uh, uranium mines over there and uh, they did that uh, they were obviously paid for it and several thousand tons of uranium ore were shipped to the us i think a thousand and a half tons or so were shipped to the us now this uranium ore is all dust and rocks and some uranium it has to be purified then when you purify uranium you get uranium 238 so when you get a brick or 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 let's say a kilogram of uranium metal out of it 99.3% of that is going to be uranium 238 and only 0.7% is going to be uranium 235 but the the isotope you want is 235 So that's really hard to procure. So you got to invent means to purify the uranium and to extract the uranium two thirty five out of it. So they had to devise mass spectroscopy and various other ways. Uh, you know, they, they would uh, make they would uh, create this uranium hexafluoride gas and then use certain techniques to to uh, you know take out the uranium two thirty five. So that was a very long procedure. a uh, lot of engineering prowess went into that but eventually they were able to start purifying uranium enrich uranium to uh, uranium 235 to about 90% uh, purity which is weapons grade uranium so all this was overseen by j robert oppenheimer who was a theoretical physicist not an experimentalist but uh, they the us army military i think they regarded him as a genius and he actually did the job so a whole bunch of the world's best physicists chemists all of them enrico fermi uh, richard feynman and, uh, and a whole host of other other scientists they all came together and by 1944 or 1945 they had enough uranium to put together uh, you know the first rudimentary nuclear bomb so they assembled one bomb in which you, the the fissile material was uranium and one bomb in which the fissile material was plutonium and the first test was done in in new mexico somewhere in 1945 i think it was in july it was a plutonium bomb and uh, it worked that's called the trinity test so that is the culmination of the manhattan project they had two more bombs uh, that they had uh, they had constructed by that time one uranium one plutonium these were shipped off to japan and in august one was dropped on hiroshima and a few days later the next was dropped on nagasaki and they had more bombs in the pipeline but the they chose not to use those and by i think october or november that year the japanese surrendered so that is how the nuclear weapons technology was bo was born and j robert oppenheimer was the father is is regarded as the father of this technology so during times of worldwide conflict do the scientists in these developed nations become an extended wing of the army yes if you coopt them into the into the military effort definitely because the only way to to overcome your enemy is to have better technology to just make the audiences understand this better the hypothetical indian scenario is that if india enters a war with anybody tomorrow there's going to be a call from the pmo to isro and they're going to tell isro listen stop whatever you're doing and start working on some technologies that will assist us in this war am i right in thinking this way oh definitely yes so the call would go out not just not just to isro it would go out to barc it would go out to every other institute where you have high quality scientists and the objective would be to give us the technological edge whatever the chinese or whoever has we need something better than that we need the technological edge it's always technology that gives you the results in 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 war the side with the better technology wins because technology is a force multiplier speaking about technology whenever it was tech for world war 2 growing up we only heard about albert einstein not too many people had even heard about oppenheimer until this nolan movie uh what is albert einstein's role in like world war 2 then uh, einstein has essentially no role in that uh the theory the theoretical groundwork that that it did in developing the science of quantum mechanics that is what led to the eventual technology that was that was developed for the manhattan project so without the understanding of quantum mechanics that he gave us we would not have been able to eventually engineer use that to engineer a nuclear bomb and to engineer nuclear reactors okay yeah so that was his role he was a theoretician he was not an experimentalist he was not an engineer a pure theoretician okay
now let's speak about oppenheimer so say he was recruited by the american government and they told him that listen we're at war you're one of the best scientists in the world you need to help us with the technological edge therefore we're giving you this project where you have to further the understanding of nuclear technology is that the likely narrative that was given by the american government to him or did they tell him listen at some point we're going to have to drop atom bombs on our enemies because they'll drop it on us first what was the narrative given to him the nar- narrative was that the germans have already achieved nuclear fission and they will definitely be working on a nuclear bomb project so we need the bomb before them that was the narrative so get together the best scientists that you know of put assemble together in that assemble them together in a team we're going to give you the assistance of the us army the military they will give you whatever you need you get together with with german uh, with with general whoever he is i forget the name of the guy and you assemble a team a crack team together you will get whatever funds you want get this done there was the uh, brief given to him okay i believe the movie is about a court case that happens post world war 2 right am i right so uh what was the court case then so oppenheimer was a very interesting person he uh, had a certain political uh, ideology ideologically he was left leaning he had associations with the communist party of the united states and i believe his wife was a member of the communist party maybe he even his brother uh so that was a deal but he was a patriot and he worked for the us and he developed this entire uh, project he made it happen uh but uh, you see when you were when all the scientists who were working all the physicists engineers etc who were working on the manhattan project they were all spied upon by the fbi and because you know there was always the possibility of somebody leaking information to the enemy and it actually happened eventually a few names came out uh, there was a german born physicist who was passing on uh, manhattan project uh, information to the soviets Damn. So, yeah and that came out later on so at that time they did not realize it so there was this intense surveillance on each and every person there was a proper file and dossier created for every person all their whereabouts were known they would be tailed they would be surveilled there was no privacy whether they knew it or not that sort of thing okay so after everything was done after the one world war 2 uh, there was this uh, this intense period of uh, what they call mccarthyism in the us in which uh, communism was declared to be an un-american ideology an enemy ideology because it was the ussr's ideology and the us government went after anybody who was suspected to uh, of having any sympathy for communism and uh, this guy oppenheimer was like he had very clear communist leanings his family members were involved in this so they revoked his security clearances they kind of uh, disgraced him uh, there was a witch hunt against him and uh, it was a kind of humiliation for him and he faced a lot of hardships he had to come and testify against uh, in front of various committees and prove his innocence and even though he was never found guilty of any kind of wrongdoing but he was tarnished because of his communist association and i believe there must have been court cases and all that against him so like he was demonized and there was this terrible witch hunt against him and uh, he became very bitter and un- unhappy naturally because of that so he was going through hell in america post world war 2 oh definitely he was going through hell because all of his uh, i believe many of his colleagues must have distanced themselves from him cancelled him so to say uh-huh. <laughs> that sort of thing he was essentially was cancelled you know mm. very publicly mm. it was a humiliation and all that so yeah it was a very bad time for him it obviously if you see his uh, interviews in later times when he is a much older person you can see the bitterness and the sadness in his face you know uh that's sort of thing so yeah he, they treated treated him very badly a, a genuine american hero and he was not a guy who wanted to kill people with nuclear bombs he was doing it because he was ordered to do it and he always had a lot of regret for what happened i mean the number of people that were killed in hiroshima and nagasaki it was very very uh he felt a lot of guilt for that you know he was one could say a hindu possibly because you know he was a sanskrit scholar he had translated the bhagavad gita from sanskrit to english himself from the original sanskrit and he would quote uh, passages from the bhagavad gita and all that so yeah so when it came to building the atomic bomb and you know unleashing this terrible power he reminded himself of what lord krishna told arjun just do your duty don't worry about the consequences you know oh, that sort of thing or also urge my editing team to play that voice clip of his which has now become famous yeah here we go you knew the world would not be the same few people laughed few people cried most people were silent i remembered the line from the hindu scripture the bhagavad gita vishnu is trying to persuade the prince that he should do his duty and to impress him takes on his multi-armed form and says now i am become deaf 
made him say that i have become death the destroyer of worlds uh, there are so many remarkable passages in the bhagavad gita but i think uh, this one came to him immediately when he saw the the incredible brilliance and the shattering blinding brightness of of the nucle- of the first uh, nuclear explosion the trinity explosion which shone brighter than the sun it, uh, the nuclear test took place uh, i think around 5:20 or 5:30 in the morning uh, in the pre dawn time before the sun rises and this nuclear flash it it shone brighter than the sun can ever shine it illuminated all the hills around the place like you would never imagine it and for some reason that verse came to his mind and that's why he is so closely associated with that particular passage of the bhagavad gita it's also from a human empathy perspective this human being has given a significant portion of his prior decades to furthering nuclear technology maybe somewhere in his heart he knew not somewhere in his heart he obviously knew that this is going to turn into a bomb at that point but maybe he was so into his work and furthering his understanding of science due to his love for science he just kept going forward and then somewhere along the lines he realized oh man i've given so much of my time to something that has actually caused this much suffering in the world right definitely the guilt was there but it also advanced see obviously the atomic bomb was it is a terrible thing it ended world war 2 but it set off the cold war mm. and it set off the situation that we have today where so many nuclear weapons are pointed at various nations so that's something that uh, is something that his work triggered off right but it also led to lots of advances in nuclear technology nuclear medicine which is used to diagnose and cure cancer it gave us nuclear power which is actually a very clean form of power so all of this was done all of these all of these advances in technology and science happened because of him technology is always a double edged sword you can use it for good or for bad it's up to the person who wields the technology right so as a scientist he did his duty his country called upon him they said you, we need you to do this he did his duty and he, he produced the, the goods but then over time he saw how it was used and that left a lot of bitterness in him so i think we're almost at the end of this episode um the only question my teammates have actually sent uh, to me in order to get more insight on through you is this whole angle of nuclear fusion that was spoken about in the movie i believe there's a scene where someone tells oppenheimer that hey if we actually go for nuclear fusion it might be an even bigger explosion that we'll be able to create but there's a 0.1% chance that the earth can get destroyed hmm. uh it's been a long time since world war 2 and say if there is another worldwide conflict who's to say that someone won't be stupid enough to use a nuclear weapon somewhere so this is a two prong question one i would love to understand the science and geopolitics of this scene where they speak about nuclear fusion mm. and two do you think human beings are stupid enough to actually use nuclear weapons in a big way again right right so the nuclear fusion angle was that uh, there was a very small possibility i'm not sure who came up with this i've not seen the movie but uh, there was a small possibility a tiny possibility that the first nuclear explosion or any nuclear explosion because of the incredibly high temperatures would cause the hydro there's a very little amount of hydrogen in our atmosphere very little it could possibly cause the hydrogen to fuse together and give off a huge amount of energy which would trigger off more fusion reactions it could possibly even dissociate the uh, the water molecules in the, in the atmosphere into oxygen and and uh, hydrogen and cause those hydrogen atoms to start fusing and that could trigger off a global planet wide fusion reaction of all the hydrogen there was also a possibility that the nitrogen itself might uh, start burning up in the atmosphere so the overall possibility even though it was very small was that the entire atmosphere might burn up that's what was uh, feared and uh, various uh, physicists calculated the pro- probability of this happening and they said it was negligible it won't happen but oppenheimer was kind of concerned about this right so this is the the fusion angle that there was a small possibility that the entire atmosphere would burn up and this this test of the nuclear weapon could end up destroying the entire planet so that is the first thing now secondly that same calculation of hydrogen fusing together gave rise to the possibility in in scientists minds that there could be a different kind of weapon that we could create which would use the initial fission reaction 
to trigger off a secondary fusion reaction of various hydrogen isotopes like deuterium and tritium. And that is something that eventually gave rise to the hydrogen bomb or the thermonuclear bomb, which is essentially a three-stage explosion. There is an initial conventional explosive explosion that causes the, the two hemispheres or whatever of, of uranium or plutonium to come together, which gives off the chain reaction that sets off the fusion or the fission reaction. And this fission reaction would cause a secondary or tertiary fusion reaction, which would give off incredible amounts of energy. I think it was in 1950s, some 52 or something that the first hydrogen bomb was tested. And the first uh, fission bomb, the Trinity bomb was, it gave a yield of, I don't know how many kilotons, maybe 20 kilotons of TNT. The first hydrogen bomb, the IV Mike explosion, gave an output of maybe 10 megatons of TNT, like a thousand times more. Now, that sort of thing. So that's what fusion is. And eventually the, the Soviets in the 1960s or something tested the Tsar Bomba, which is the largest explosion ever manufactured, which is about 50 megatons of TNT. They actually wanted a 100 megaton explosion, but they could not engineer it properly. But I'm sure they can do it today. So, <laughs> so th that's the fusion thing. That's the fusion angle, the hydrogen bomb angle. <sighs> Let's paint a present scenario. Uh, maybe a... Tertiary question hmm. is also explain what nuclear winter means. Oh, that's a frightful prospect. Okay. Uh, you also asked me whether anybody is crazy enough to start off a nuclear war. Yeah. I hope nobody is. I hope nobody is crazy enough to do that. I'm sure that uh, people have sane minds and nobody is going to press the red button. But who knows? I even, hope... even North Koreans? I don't think the North Korean leader is crazy. I don't think Mr. Kim is, is a madman. Even though he's painted as such, he's kind of eccentric and all. So that it's easier to paint him like that. I don't think he would do that. Yeah, I hope he doesn't do that. Yeah. Uh, so see, we went through the Cold War and no such thing happened. We came close a couple of times, but uh, sane minds overall prevailed. So today I think uh, we are in a slightly better situation and there's not any urgency to press the red button. So I think it, it I, I genuinely hope and pray it doesn't happen. Now what's nuclear winter? Okay, so this, to understand that, we have to consider the scenario in which somebody is crazy enough to press the button. So let's say somebody is crazy enough to press the red button and someone, let's say, from Russia. Okay, let's let's consider the hypothetical case of Russia. Somebody in Russia, some military commander, for some reason, presses the red button, shoots off a ballistic missile towards the US. The US has automatic systems that will detect a ballistic missile launch and they will calculate very rapidly that the traje trajectory brings it on US territory it is inevitable that you have to respond before the missile hits you. So they're going to set off a bunch of launches to retaliate. Once the, so the, once the Russians see that the, a bunch of missiles is coming towards them, they're going to send some more. And within maybe minutes, you're going to have hundreds of missiles being launched at each other. Ballistic missiles typically take about 30 minutes. Cruise missiles, they may take hours. But And, and we have anti ballistic missile defenses and countermeasures and all that. Let's say they take care of 50% of the missiles, but we have thousands of missiles and nuclear warheads on the planet. So eventually, in this unfortunate hypothetical scenario, missile, the warheads will start hitting the US and Russia. They will not only hit uh, the major cities, they will hit all the military sites. And the Russians know that according to NATO uh, protocol or according to the NATO treaty, if the US is hit with a nuclear strike, its NATO allies are obligated, obliged to retaliate, which means that France and Britain are also targets, which means they will also take out France and Britain. It's going to be a catastrophe. So then what happens? You have thousands of nuclear explosions in Europe on, on US soil, hopefully not in Asia, but it doesn't make any difference. What happens is that once these nuclear explosions start going off, they're going to vaporize entire patches of ground create big craters and all that vaporized matter material is going to go high up into the atmosphere because it's incredibly hot there is going to be a lot of burning of cities and forests and trees and whatnot organic material which is going to give off a huge amount of carbon which will go up into the atmosphere as soot and after a few hours you're going to have the an entire planet-wide covering of carbon soot high up in the atmosphere which is going to block out the sunlight and this situation will persist for months or maybe years, depending on how many nuclear warheads have gone off. So even though most people won't die of nuclear contamination, radiation, uh, radiation sickness, poisoning, all that, what will happen is that in the northern hemisphere, at the higher latitudes, even at medium latitudes, there's going to be freezing temperatures, which will prevail for days, weeks, maybe months or even years. 
वेरियस कैलकुलेशन शो दैट इट कुड किल ऑफ अबाउट नाइन्टी और टू नाइन्टी नाइन परसेंट ऑफ ह्यूमैनिटी पीपल इन द इक्वेटोरियल रीजन्स मे सर्वाइव बट इट्स गोना डिस्ट्रॉय द इंटायर ग्लोबल सिस्टम यू नो देर कुड बी फूड स्कार सिटी एंड ऑल सो इट कुड बी काइंड ऑफ लाइक द आफ्टर मार्थ ऑफ द चिकशुलू इम्पैक्ट दट हैपन सिक्सटी सिक्स मिलियन ईयर्स गो विच किल्ड ऑफ द नॉन एवियन डायनासोर्स सो दैट्स वॉट अ न्यूक्लियर विंटर इज लाइक इट्स अ कंप्लीट डिजास्टर एंड दैट्स वॉट विल हैपन इफ समबडी प्रेस इज द रेड बटन and even sends one missile even sends one missile that's that's enough that's enough <laughs> ah terrible terrible nightmare scenario that's what we are living on the brink of every single moment any signing off notes for this uncomfortable podcast <laughs> <laughs> uh well you you know we human beings have good sides and bad sides to ourselves everybody has a bit of a bit of light a bit of dark we're all shades of gray i hope that overall in the long run at the end of the day the better side of our human nature will will shine through and take us through this difficult time uh, in the long run maybe we will go and colonize i mean settle down on maybe the moon on mars also i hope we don't take that over the nuclear technology nuclear weapons technology i hope we use science and technology for good uh, the nuclear weapons conundrum that we have today is not something that's going to be solved solved anytime soon but i hope that the leadership uh, is uh, has a sane mind and doesn't use it overall i am optimistic for humanity we we have survived how many thousands of years 300000 years uh, hopefully we survive at least 300000 more so okay. i am optimistic overall and the obvious plan for survival should be space exploration and keeping bits and pieces of human biology in space as well i think it makes sense for us to make the leap to the next uh, next frontier until recently the final frontier was was the ocean that's where you would go and explore but now we have discovered everything there is to discover on the surface of the planet so now it makes sense for us to make the leap to the moon and to mars i think there's a new space race that's beginning right now uh, india is also involved we have a spacecraft right now on the way to the moon right so uh that is the next frontier i think by 2030 by the 2030s 2040s we're going to have people definitely on the moon maybe indians as well and we're going to have the first steps on mars as well so i think that's a great step for humanity eventually we're going to who knows uh, travel far and wide okay so exciting okay ac another epic episode uh all i'll say is that we'll be back soon and thank you sir thank you very much my pleasure thank you that was the episode for today i remember the first time i recorded videos with ac I thought hmm we've recorded four videos I don't know how many more podcasts we'll be able to do together and we've easily done 15 to 20 episodes already over the course of 2 years there's a lot more topics for us to explore so please keep suggesting the topics that you want AC and myself to break down we will follow whatever you say just keep supporting us make sure you follow AC everywhere on Instagram on YouTube on Twitter gents like this need to be celebrated on a world stage if you're a viewer from outside the indian subcontinent make sure you check out our entire library of podcasts there's a lot of content especially on our english youtube channel that you'll find a lot of value within lots of love from ac from bb and the rest of the team we'll see you later on trs